Come rain, come shine, come snow, come sleet. The show must go on. The classic line from 1952's Singing in the Rain could just as well describe the journey from concept to creation of this week's attraction. The beginning of the idea coming from outside the Disney family, sidelined and interfered with by lawyers, to breakdowns within the first year of operation. Come rain, come shine, come snow, come sleet. The ride must go on. This week on Slice of Disney, the great movie ride. Welcome to Slice of Disney, an awesome Disney theme park podcast. I am your host, Kelly Washington, Disney-obsessed enthusiast and real-life Tinkerbell. And I am your co-host, Will Lentz, occasional Disney-goer and real-life Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch. Why are you the Scarlet Witch? Well, because she's Scarlet, and I have red hair. Oh. And I saw Multiverse of Madness. And what, I, did you like it? I did. You know, I, it wasn't my favorite. Um, it's getting a lot of flack. Uh, not everybody seems to like it that much. Um, I think it's much better than what people are giving it credit for. I think the bad parts are pretty bad. I think the good parts are really cool. Um, so my recommendation is if you're interested in seeing it, go see it. Go in with an attitude of like, it's a comic book. It's a comic book movie. It's not necessarily trying to be like Avengers Endgame. Um, and I think you'll really like it if you see, you need to see WandaVision first, to be clear. Uh, but Elizabeth Olsen's great in it. That's what everybody, the biggest she's takeaway I've heard so is like she's actually really she's good. She's actually very good. Uh, probably the best performance, if I had to guess, uh, of any actor in a Marvel movie, which isn't saying that's, a ton, but no, it is but saying impressive. something. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it was fun. I had a good time. I would, I would. There's definitely scenes that I really want to watch again. So, okay, that's like a positive. I, I think. would say it's a positive. It's a. It's. I consider it. It swung much harder at things than anything like Captain Marvel did. Uh, some of the things it missed on. Some of the things it hit on. So, my struggle is there's so much Marvel content. Oh, there is. Yeah. And as like more Star Wars comes out, I. I get a little overwhelmed. So I'm like, I can see this one at home. Like. Yeah. No, I think that that's fair. If you're not. If if Wandavision wasn't it for you, I loved Wandavision. Then you should see this one. Yeah. You you I I'm saying this now. If you like okay. Wandavision, you should see this one. Okay, okay. Um, you can skip Black Panther or Wakanda Forever later this year if you if you if you're marvelled out. But if you really liked Wandavision, you should see this movie. I well, my friend worked on that one, so I feel like well, you should see actually, that one too. Actually, my friend worked on this one too. So here's That's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm in a movie fantasy league. I may have talked about it on this podcast. May not yes. have. I have both doc, uh, both Doctor wow. Strange and Black Panther. So you should see both in theaters multiple times. So that you win. So that I win. Okay. Um, <laughs> Which I think that that kind of segues segue. into what we're talking about. It today. really actually did. Um, so. Welcome back to uh, History Lessons. I'm excited. Uh, so uh, this was an episode that has been brought up many times to us mm-hmm. of that we're, you know, people wanting us to do it. And Will also has wanted to do this. I have. And this ride is no longer with us, but it is a cult classic. Yeah. And I, you know, I think when like 
freshening myself up on the story behind it. Um, I think I went on this ride as a kid. I, I, oh, I'm sure. I don't have like a very vibrant memory. There's a couple of things that I'll bring up throughout this episode. Um, and it's, you know, I, I'm kind of bummed it's not around anymore. And then I did watch a watch along, uh, as I tend to do. And that did, it did not bum me out as much because uh, it's slower than what you might remember. But anyways, we'll get to it. I don't want to get it, carried away. I think I put this in at some point in my 11-page notes. You're welcome. Enjoy yeah. this episode, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe it's a two-parter. We'll yeah. see. Will was kind of like, okay. <laughs> but I really wanted to do a good job of this one because it is such a wonderful ride that um, has great storytelling in it. Yeah. So we're gonna t- we're so we're gonna go through the whole story. Let's hear it. Um, starting with the history. Starting with the history. So in, just in case you don't know, because we haven't actually said it yet, we're doing the great movie ride. The great movie ride. We never actually said. What <laughs> yeah, we were doing. you know, I was thinking about that. I was like, well, but it's gonna be in the intro. But also, yes, we have not actually said it. And peek so behind far the curtain, we, we hit haven't the record button. Yes, we haven't recorded the intro yet. So this is the first time we've said it. This is the first time. We- <laughs> it's kind of behind the scenes stuff you guys love to hear. Yeah. Um, so the great movie ride is the attraction we are doing. Mm-hmm. If you're not sure what that is, um, it was a dark ride located in Disney's Hollywood Studios at Walt Disney World. Uh, the attraction would use audio animatronic figures, practical sets, live actors, special effects, and projections to create scenes from 12 classic films throughout motion picture history. Uh, the attraction debuted May 1st, 1989, uh, and it is very cool. Uh, I will say, you know, I think when uh, familiarizing myself with the notes uh, to an extent, um, I I saw a lot of stuff in this ride that I was like, you know, I'm certain wasn't the first time that Disney has done things like this, but a lot of this ride, I'm like, oh, there are signs of the directions they're going to move in the future um, in yeah. this ride. And there are examples here of not just business decisions they're making, but also attraction decisions they're making that I think are really interesting, not just from this fact that this is a, an interesting ride. It is like showing a different design that they might move towards um, that you see in stuff even with the most modern like uh, the, the Skywalker one right Rise of the Resistance like that is kind of a, a walk through you're seeing di- different scenes similar right. to what is kind of in this ride too so like it is you know this was what at this point 30 years ago uh, a little yeah, over 30 little, years ago more but, than 30 years ago but you're seeing that kind of stuff early on so yeah it's it is a lot of people's favorite attraction. I ex- I was on uh, Twitter, and there was a thread about what rides people want to bring back, and like 80% was great movie ride. I put in Superstar Limo, just threw it out there. Sure. Um, well, I do think that that's what's interesting, right? So you even see like the success of this probably bred Superstar Limo, and it just was such a poor version of it that it didn't succeed. You're getting ahead of yourself, I'm Will. sorry. Don't worry. I'm excited. We'll get there. Okay, let's get into it. Let's we got 11 pages it. and we haven't even started. All right. Okay, so the great movie ride um, actually doesn't begin with Hollywood Studios. It begins with Epcot. So um, the Imagineers were working on a pavilion in 1984 for Epcot that would reside between the Land Pavilion and the Imagination Pavilion. Mm-hmm. So the Land is where Soren is. Oh, okay, it, gotcha. it housed food rocks. Oh, your favorite thing. Of course. Yeah. And then Imagination is where Figment is and Honey, I Shrunk the Audience and sure. all that stuff. Um, so there was going to be 
this pavilion. And the idea was it'd be movie themed. And it would look like a little movie theater, a classic movie theater in front with like a huge cloud painted psych wall to hide the show building, which um, I'm glad they didn't do because in between these two like glass very architectural weird buildings the land and mm-hmm. um imagination. and imagination i feel like it would have been kind of weird so yeah, it was just kind of like a little theater with a big fake like psych wall interesting okay well yeah. they didn't do that so i'm glad they didn't they didn't do that what happened? um so the st- the attraction in this pavilion would be this would be called great moments at the movies and Realistically, it says the star attraction, but it's probably the only attraction there, mm-hmm. um, where it would take you through like the history and glitz and glam of movies, showing off Walt Disney's movies, of course, like Mary Poppins, Snow White. Um, but most importantly, this followed the edutainment model that Epcot is known for. Mm-hmm. And Epcot purists are very uh, adamant on continuing to live in Epcot. Yeah, so it's not. It wouldn't just be the movies. Like, oh, here's a picture and here's a picture. It's like this is what goes into making a movie. Maybe. Yeah. No, I think I think the whole idea was because they like to educate. Yeah. Um. So I think that's pretty accurate. Sure. Um. And so the ride vehicles. The idea for this ride was that it would be smaller versions of the same ride vehicle for the Universe of Energy, mm. which is an attraction we have not gotten to yet. But just a little context for you. The Universe of Energy, which until it shut down was Ellen's Universe of Energy, it is now shut down because it's that new Guardians cosmic. Oh, that I've seen. That I've seen Instagram talking about. Everybody's talking, Everybody's about, talking it. about it. They have flown out so many influencers, except for me, to ride the ride. Well, they probably heard about what you thought about Marvel's Avengers Campus, and they're Ruh-roh. like, "We can't bring her." You know, out. I really did. Yeah, I didn't pitch myself well for that one. <laughs> um, apparently, it's amazing, but. Taking it back to the beginning of Epcot, this attraction is a 45-minute long attraction. Wow. Wait, with the, which one? The original, the Universe of the Energy, Universe of and Energy. then Ellen's. Ellen's Uni- okay, wow. Yeah. That's a long run. It's very long. It had six ride vehicles. Mm-hmm. Each ride vehicle held 80 people. That's that's pretty wild. So you need, like you have to imagine... I don't want to imagine. That sounds not fun. (laughs) Like a full theater. Okay, yeah. It's like a full moving theater Uh moving through an attraction for 45 minutes. Um, And so, yes, this was, but smaller. Mm -hmm. They weren't going to make, and I always remember like laying down and sleeping on that. Okay. That was, because like the seats were kind of low. Sure. Um, There was also speculation that, um, this ride would be inspired by Mickey's Magical Studio Tour, which was an attraction meant for the Magic Kingdom, but it never saw the light of day. Gotcha. So they kind of like took these two ideas, um, Universe of Energy and Mickey's, and kind of put it together. But ultimately, this pavilion never saw the light of day either. Guess. Uh, I feel like they were like, um, the clouds look too fake. That's a great answer. Thank you. But it's not correct. Okay. The answer is... They look too real? And people, yes. birds kept flying into actually, them? And well, then that was really sad? Actually, right now they like are repainting a bunch of the show buildings uh-huh. to be blue, to blend in, quote unquote, I guess, with the sky. But it doesn't. It mm. makes it so much more obvious. Like my brain goes immediately to it now. Okay. It's annoying. Anyway, we, uh, we're actually... I want you to think about the time period. We are now 
in the hands of Michael Eisner. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. So oh, Mikey E. Little, little Mikey. He's the new, brand new CEO of Disney in 1984. And he thought that this was a great idea um, to turn into an attraction. You know, he's like, this is a great idea, but I have a better idea. Why don't we turn this one attraction into its own theme park? Love it. He's like, you know what? We need Tower of Terror to be a hotel. We need this attraction that doesn't exist yet to be a theme park. Yep. <laughs> Get at it, Mike. So, so obviously, you know, I like... Get excited to talk about Michael mm-hmm. Eisner and what he brought to Disney. So before Disney, before Disney, before Michael Eisner was the CEO of Disney, he was the president at Paramount Pictures. Interesting. One day he was at work and Universal came in and was pitching a standalone theme park slash working movie studio in Orlando, Florida. Gotcha. So real Facebook moment here. <laughs> yep. And um, so he goes and, he, you know, he hears this pitch. Now he moves to Disney. And um, Michael Eisner and the WDI, uh, at, you know, the Walt Disney Imagineering Company, mm-hmm. President Marty Sklar, okay. who we're going to get to in about, after I go on my little tangent here right, about yeah. Michael Eisner. Uh-huh. Um, because here's an Imagineer we haven't talked about really. Yeah. Who's very I've, important. And I've heard that name. Yeah, we've mentioned it, but we haven't really gotten into him. So we'll talk about him for a second. Um, but yes, they decided the idea was strong enough for its own theme park. And now we have a couple issues because Universal didn't have a theme park per se. They just had like attractions at their studio. So this was a big deal for Universal. But Eisner was like, we have to beat Universal. We have to get there first and build a theme park slash working movie, movie studio in Orlando, Florida before they do. That's so funny. I like to think of the pitch of their pitching him, and he's like, "Oh yeah, no, good idea, guys. Good luck with that, guys, you Marty. I gotta talk. We gotta talk." <laughs> well, and then Universal hears this, and they're like, "Okay, okay, we hear you. This, this is, you know, we also want to do this. So we have an idea. Like, why don't we just collaborate instead of sure, competing? Let's collab. Because part of it is, you look at Disney's catalog, and Disney has these great animated films, some live action." But in terms of a working movie studio and featuring the history and golden era of movies, mm-hmm. Disney doesn't have that. Yeah. So, you know, Universal's, you know, catalog is insane. Right. So they're made for this kind of thing. Sure. So Universal goes, hey, Disney, let's collab instead of fight. Let's do it. And Disney says, no. Oh. <laughs> but then Disney's like, oh, well, that, they're right. Our biggest competition here is... This catalog. Yeah. So what do we do? What do we do? So, you know, we have Michael Eisner. He's going through. And uh, I did in my notes point out some of Universal's great films. So I'm going to just say them out loud for my own sake. Uh, We have Jaws, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park. uh, And then all the classics. Um, But they decide they're going to go through and they find MGM, Metro Goldwyn Meyer Studio Films. Um, I didn't yeah. know that's what it's. I didn't either. When you when I saw that in the notes, I was like, "What? Oh, weird! I've never heard." Of, oh, oh, MGM. That makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. But like, I don't know. It it's so it's just MGM. Yeah. Um, they go to them because they have some amazing classics um, from the golden era. Disney had like two, three, and they're this: Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Already has an attraction. Sure. Tron, supposedly at the time, was going to get one. Eventually now, 
has one. Mm-hmm. But at the time, in the 80s, they were already planning on doing a Tron attraction. And Old Yeller, not really... Not super, not the kind of, like, <laughs> I feel like, fun ride until, like, the last five minutes. Like, yeah, just something, it, yeah. just a no-go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but MGM's got a lot. MGM has a lot. They have Singing in the Rain, Wizard of Oz, Little Women. Um, easy, great choice for for a studio to pair up with. Sure. And again, this is one, like, well, I'll let you keep going. Oh. I got you know, I'm, I, you my get, again's not ready yet. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay, okay. I'm locked and loaded, though. I know. It's because this is, like, a fun... Yeah, I love movies. I've become much of more of a movie guy in the past, like, five years. Is and it so... because of uh, D Plus cast? Well, in part, but also, like, living out here, so many of my friends are movie people. And so it's like, oh, let's go to the movies this weekend. I'm like, I you know, it's never really a big part of it. Like, I would sometimes, but, like keep track of what's coming out and so it's fun it's been fun it there's i mean the movies are so special obviously it is my career so yeah um i i love it and i think that's why this is kind of exciting because we're not only dealing with the theme park but mm-hmm. we're dealing with the other side yeah. the business Which side I, the movie love, side so so mgm mgm there was also a reason eisner picked mgm and it is because uh at the time they had, you know, they have these golden movies, but they were kind of suffering at this point. They could barely manage to pay off their $326 million debt, mm. making it so easy for Disney to make a good offer here. And that is what I was going to say again, too. Again, this is kind of, I mean, it's certainly, I'm sure Disney wasn't, this maybe not been their first time they were like, oh, here's a struggling studio. Let's start acquiring some IP or start some partnerships that are going to help us. Uh-huh. But, you know, the past 20 years has been the story of Disney being like, oh, here's some movies. Wouldn't it be cool if we owned them? Oh, here's some <laughs> TV. What, what if we did it? Uh, yeah, we so, did. yeah, you know, it's a, it's a dating all the way back 30 plus years that they're kind of starting this movement. Dang it. Dang it. When Michael Eisner's right. Yeah. Did right. Something smart. Yeah. Ugh. It's like he's good at his job and like yeah. did a bunch of golden age stuff for yeah. the theme parks. Anyway. Well, but it's like, you know, we are talking, he clearly was a president of Paramount Pictures, right? So like, or CEO, what was the CEO president? He was leading Paramount Pictures. Uh, he's a movie guy. And so he's going to exceed when it comes to, or he's going to excel when it comes to movie interactions. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be great when it comes to like theme park choices. So, but we'll right. see. But this feels like exactly it does. where he needs to be. Not only is MGM suffering, smart moves, good mm-hmm. job, um, but MGM also has ties to Warner Brothers and United Artists, mm. which allowed Disney's catalog to get even bigger. Smart. Good play, guys. That's what Disney does. Mm-hmm. Um, so they decided on a 20-year contract that would begin in 1988 and allow Disney to potentially gain lifetime use of their name, logo, and IPs within the Disney theme parks. Now, they agreed to work together, but in as we mentioned before, Michael Eisner's in competition. And if there's anything we've learned, if like, I want it now, daddy mentality works for Michael Eisner, um, he's going to do it, right? Yeah. So Michael Eisner did have a selfish goal here, and he wanted to be first. He wanted to be the first movie studio slash theme park in Florida. Right. Smart. You know, I mean, I guess he's going for it. He is. He's rushing so construction began in 1987 on disney mgm studios and along with it would be the star big e ticket attraction 
great moments at the movies. Which sets the stage for what we're talking about today. It does. Great moments at the movies hat was the working title and had been for the many years that this was in development, mm -hmm. starting at the Epcot stage. Um, it wasn't actually changed to the great movie ride until a year after they'd begun construction. And the reasoning for changing the ride name was just because they wanted to make sure that guests knew this was an attraction, not a movie theater. That makes sense. Yeah, because, I mean, great movies, I, mean, I, I like that. Like, oh, well, we'll put ride in the title. That'll convey it, which it does. Yeah, yeah, and it's partially because what the Imagineers are building. Before I get to what the Imagineers are building, let's go back to the Imagineer who I mentioned earlier, Marty Sklar. Let's do it. So, Marty Sklar, tell me about him. So um, he was the Walt Disney Company's international ambassador for the Walt Disney Imagineering. And uh, he was... Formally before that, the vice president of Imagineering, and in his final role was the principal creative executive of the company. Gotcha. So at this time, what was he doing? He was uh, the president of gotcha. of WDI at the time. Okay. So he's got kind of a cool story um, and clearly is very important to Disney history. And... So he might not have had his hands getting dirty the whole time as some of the Imagineers we talk about, mm -hmm. um, but he's he's big picturing with Walt. Yeah. So apparently, um, Sklar was a student at UCLA and an editor to its Daily Bruin newspaper in 1955 when he was recruited to create a 1950s-themed newspaper, the Disneyland News, a month before the theme park opened. Oh, cool. As soon as he graduated, he joined Disneyland full-time in 1956, where he held responsibility for most of the park's uh, publicity and marketing tools. I think this is so cool. Like, you literally get recruited. Right as it's starting, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. And then in 1961... Moved to Wet Enterprises, then which eventually mm -hmm. became Imagineering, where he worked on attractions for the 1964 World's Fair. We know all of our big boys worked on that. Yeah. Um, among that, he helped with uh, design on Tiki Room, Small World. Uh, and then for nearly 10 years, he wrote personal materials for Walt Disney to use on publications, televisions, and specials. So he's like a creative... Like, not not exclusively a writer, but, like, marketer or that kind of stuff on yeah. the side of things. It kind of reminds me of, like, the president's, like, speech writer or oh, something. Interesting. Yeah, like I a mean, comms person. Yeah, he's doing more than that. Yeah. But it's kind of, like, I see him as kind of almost being responsible for Uncle Walt. Interesting. Like, that persona or something. Yeah, branding. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly a really smart dude. He yeah. did great. And then in 1974, he became the vice president. That's when he helped guide the creative development of Epcot. Then also as the vice president of creative development, executive vice president, and then president of Imagineering, he was there helping design and construct Tokyo Disneyland, MGM, Disneyland Paris, Animal Kingdom, California Adventure, Tokyo Sea, the Walt Disney Studios Park, and most recently, Hong Kong Disneyland. I mean, he's done everything. He really has. That's really interesting. The former Disneyland International chairman, Jim Cora, later said of him, he understands the Disney way because he learned it at Walt's knee. He's the keeper of the keys, the conscience, and the Jiminy Cricket for the organization. That's so, cool. I thought that was really special. Um, he even, of course, has his own window when he retired July 17th, 2009. 
So just a brief history about this guy who's done everything. Yeah, no, I mean, it's good to know because, I mean, it's interesting. Like, clearly, you know, we have talked about a number of things that he was involved with um, up until this date, but this is the first time we're actually talking about him. Um, and it seems like he was involved in a ton. Yeah. Uh, and it's cool to be the Jiminy Cricket of an organization. Yeah. yeah you know, like, like, I'm there. Yeah, I like that. Oh, I'm kind of the Jiminy Cricket of this uh, podcast. Oh, are you? Yeah. Well, I've never heard it be, hi, I'm Will Lentz, and I'm the Jiminy Cricket. Ha, ha, ha. Maybe you don't listen. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that, Kelly? Oh, no. <laughs> um, okay, so to our uh, The Great Movie Ride, we have two people in power, Michael Eisner, and as we just learned about Marty Sklar, who are leading this and looking at this uh, e-ticket attraction, not only as an attraction, but building the theme park around it. Mm-hmm. And starting with, we have... It's, in, you know, it, at uh, Disneyland or at Magic Kingdom. The castle is, you walk down Main Street, and that's the beauty right there. This is a little different. They didn't want to just have big sound stages, um, so they have different sections of the park highlighting the golden era of Hollywood, and then, you know, a little bit more of the backlot scenes. But the center is going to be a very detailed full-scale replica of the original Chinese theater in Hollywood, California. I'll be honest, it's way nicer than the real one. I was going to say, I've been to I've been to both now, I suppose, because I, I have memories of going to this as a kid. Um, and then I've been only once to the Chinese theater you in Hollywood. You only had to go once? I've only, I've, yes, I've only been once to, like, I mean, I've been to Hollywood Boulevard before, don't get me wrong, but I've only been to, like, into the theater to watch oh, a movie okay. there once. I saw dunkirk um and i i didn't remember how nice it was as a kid and it's like a fine place to watch a movie it's like everything around it is awful but yeah the i mean look the theater yeah it's very beautiful um i have i was more referring to that section of hollywood boulevard um the outside the details of the building itself are beautiful but it is just if you come to visit los angeles I beg of you, drive through it. It's so awful and seedy and just like, I don't know if that's the right word. No, seedy is accurate. It, it, it's not It's not the most seedy place. It's like, you know, it's there's going to be people trying to sell you stuff. Constantly. Uh, yeah, yeah, constantly. Um, and there's a bunch of tourists and it's going to be very crowded and uh, everything's going to be very overpriced and it's going to be dirty. And it makes you feel sticky. And it makes you feel sticky. I don't know why. No, I think I think that's actually pretty fair. Like every, <laughs> every, it just feels like everything there is sticky, so it makes you feel sticky. Um, yeah, it's not it's not glamorous. No. I've taken a few people to Hollywood Boulevard because that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, I don't do it much anymore. So. Gosh, it, it is. It's awful. But this is... The, the, but imagine- if you want to get an Oscar that says uh, best... Dad, dad, or best softball player, or best person named Kelly, or they have like a million different options Millions. of it. So if that's what you're looking for, for like 19.99 for a piece of plastic, exactly. Yeah, this is a, this is a place to come. Or Amazon, probably. Yeah, um, but you know, <laughs> no matter what, not not great places. Yeah, I don't know where you yeah. go. Um, so the Imagineers, um, they actually used the building's original blueprints from 1927, which I think is oh, that is cool. so cool. Um, at the time of the attraction's open, the actual name was the Grauman's Chinese Theater, um, later the Man's Chinese Theater. However, uh, the park's proper name for this version was simply the Chinese Theater. Mm-hmm. Not to get confused with who the owner is, just the yeah. Chinese Theater. Um, 
inside was just as detailed and imagineered perfectly as the outside. And the Imagineers wanted to make sure that the guests really felt immersed in in all of their favorite movie genres, going into great detail. And this also is going to have the most advanced auto, audio animatronics of the time. So um, they also, because this is like the going through all the details, um, there's, I don't know about the scaffolding of this one, but <laughs> actually I kind of do. I guess what I'm about to say, they had scaffolding to build it. In order um, to have the nighttime shows on Hollywood Boulevard, because it's the main street, um, they had the roof be able to retract. So the only thing different about the blueprints that they didn't follow is they didn't build the roof with it. They built the roof separately and then placed the roof on top so that it could retract, not blocking any views of the nighttime shows. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Well, that's cool. Right? As you're walking up to the building, I'm painting you a picture. And honestly... Paint me a picture with your words, Kelly. With your words. Um, This was one of my favorite parts, especially as a kid. So you walk up and there's all the hands and footprints in front of the theater. Mm -hmm. Just like the one on Hollywood Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Um, Except this one has like Mickey and Minnie and um, Donald Duck. That IP in there. Yeah, of course. And... I always thought that was so cool. And you go up and, you know, you put your hands and mm-hmm. compare to different. Um, That's cute. That's fun. Yeah. Like actors and actresses from their time or fun ones like Kermit the Frog. And this one is not crowded and you don't have people trying to like, like if you like take a picture on Hollywood Boulevard. Someone will come someone and ask like, you it for was money. $5. It was $5 yeah. to take a picture with that thing that I have nothing to do exactly. with. And you're like, okay, never mind. Yeah. So. This, a little more relaxing. You did have to pay an entrance fee into yeah, the parks. Yeah, for sure. But, um, so they haven't, I know, I noticed, done any new ones since 1996. Gotcha. But there's a lot of really cool names. Um, like who? Uh, so we have Betty White, mm-hmm. Dick Van Dyke, Harrison Ford, Robin Williams, Audrey Hepburn. I mean, so many. But prior to opening the theme park where you can walk down this marvelous main street, um, it was a fully functioning movie studio. Which is what he was going for. It's what he was going for. Um, with working production facilities for film and television shows, a back lot, and a satellite animation studio for the Walt Disney feature animation, um, which began operation prior to the park's debut. Oh, not necessarily a good decision, because MGM slash uh, United Artists got pissed. And in 1988, when they found out about this and found out what Disney's plan was to open another studio slash theme park in Burbank, California. They decided to sue Disney for $10 million, saying that Disney violated their agreement by operating a working movie slash television studio at the resort. You know, it's interesting. I don't know the ins and outs of the whole legal system, period. (laughs) Surprise. Period. (laughs) Um, But I do find that a lot of the, a lot of conflict within um, entertainment comes around like one organization trying to do something and something else. Um, like I think recently, like there's there like there was uh, a big issue with agencies out here and agents that were like maybe doing like packaging clients, but oh, also yes. operating production companies. And it's like we well, can't do that because you're controlling too much of the single system, right? Despite the fact that managers can manage and produce, but whatever. Uh, and then like here, it's like, well, theme park and production lot, we're so mad. And it's like, okay, sure, I understand the appeal for wanting to do it, and I guess that's a thing we're mad about. Um, but business, 
It's, yeah, like, it feels like everyone's, I, I don't understand it at all. Anyways, um, I'm yes. sorry, I'm derailing us. I, no, I, now I'm thinking about that whole, with the agency thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think got resolved finally. Right? It did, and it makes sense because you don't, like, if it's you're more just like you siloing everything. It's CAA, like, choosing only to make CAA exactly. stuff because, you know. Yeah. For it's sure. really because of it's the a, monopoly. It's a, it's a horizontal monopoly. Yeah. Um, which would be an issue. Yes. But still, I think All right. There's right. that industry talk. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we got it. We got it going. So like I said, the um, 1988 is when they find out about this and they sue. Mm-hmm. But Disney MGM Studio opens anyway on May 1st, 1989. Love it. So um, the theme park opened adjacent to the production facilities um, with MGM's only affiliation being the original licensing agreement that allowed Disney to use MGM's name and the Lion logo in marketing and separate contracts that allowed specific MGM content to be used on the great movie ride. So it's a little messy at this point Mm -hmm. with MGM. Um, And on opening day of MGM Hollywood or Disney MGM studios, it got so, it took me so long to change my brain to saying Hollywood Studios mm-hmm. and not Disney MGM. Sure. And now it's so hard to go, go back. Yeah. Um, remember that Eisner thought there is enough stuff that this one ride is so great we can open a full theme park around it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Except for when they opened the um, theme park, only two operating attractions were available. So. <laughs> Um, That's that that feels like classic Eisner. Yeah, uh, a grand idea with with a lack of execution to really follow through on it. Like as great as the Great Movie Ride is, would I want to pay an entry fee just to do right. that? And okay, the other one is the Studio Backlot Tour. We'll get to that one yeah. day, mm-hmm. and that's it. Okay, uh-huh. you have two things you could do, and then the cool thing that came like a couple months later after opening were the Streetmosphere improvisational troupe oh man improv <laughs> i had this great idea for a patreon episode you do and i completely you didn't completely respond ignored to me. it <laughs> i'm I sorry think... i didn't fully understand what you were saying and i was in the middle of stuff and so i responded to the second text and not well, the first sidebar i if you are a part of our patreon and you know we do special episodes for all of our patrons thank you and um i me and will met doing improv together mm-hmm. so i think it would be really funny Instead of doing like a just pod, an extra podcast for the Patreon, recording us just doing two man improv. Yeah, I, I actually think you guys would get a kick out of it just I, because you'll see how it. insane <laughs> Kelly is when she tries to improvise. And I will have to continuously be like, no, guys, this is not a bit. This is how she actually does it. Uh, and you'll hear my and you'll hear my lack of character work. There you, go. you won't have to see my lack of space work. Yeah, but you'll hear my lack of character work. So, um, if that if that sounds if that, exciting to you guys, yeah, let us know. Yeah, please uh, join our Patreon and watch us make fools of ourselves. We are hundred percent doing that. Sure, that's a fun idea. Um, in fact, so back to maybe these. we get an actual streetmosphere person yeah. to come on too. Great. Um, the streetmosphere, the streetmosphere. Say that ten times fast. Performers. Um, now named the Citizens of Hollywood, are the longest running attraction at the theme park now. Wow. Because the backlot tour is yeah, gone and so is <laughs> great movie good ride. For, good, street, good for a streetmosphere. These street performers, like they have like that classic like 80s, or 80s, the classic like 20s rolling around, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know. okay. Um, some people find them annoying. Some people love them. So back to the, the corporate stuff. Um, 
Disney later filed a countersuit claiming that MGM slash United Artist and MGM Grand Inc. had conspired to violate Disney's worldwide rights to the MGM name in the theme park business and that MGM slash UA would harm Disney's reputation by building its own theme park at the MGM Grand Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay. I love that. I know you do. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> I think there's there's some interesting stuff in here. Okay, in the what? fact. Well, no, I just think it's like, I think it's, it's classic. Like, we started, we had a good idea. There's some creativity that's going to go into it. We're going to make some cool stuff. And then lawyers get involved and are kind of derailing everything. And it's like, we're suing you. We're suing you. And like, they're like, well, not if you're doing this. Not if you're doing that. And ba da ba da ba Well, there was a theme park. Um, it, it was a 33-acre MGM Grand Adventures theme park. And it opened in 1993. And it closed permanently in 2000. But, you know, it was on, it was at the MGM Grand Hotel. Vegas has a different vibe. And I, I do understand Disney being like, hey, we don't want to be associated with like that. Yeah. So I, I get it. No, I, I agree that this lawyer's getting in blah, 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 annoying. But I, all I mean is like it's a, it's a big detour from trying to create this ride. And it's now getting to like the uh, arguments of like, well, who should, yeah, sure, go. We're not focused on that as much as we're focused on whether technically right. you count as this thing and that thing. That's true. And very classic business in it's Disney. the most Hollywood thing yeah, exactly. to happen. Like, we're trying to make a movie, but let's argue you can, about... You can use Tom Holland, but you can't use the word Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. So on October 23rd, 1992, the, the LA Superior Court ruled that Disney had the right to continue using Disney MGM Studios' name on film productions produced in the Florida facility, and that MGM Grand had the right to build a Las Vegas theme park using the MGM name and logo as long as it did not share the same studio backlot theme as Disney's property. There you go. So The parent comes in and is like, all right, guys, you can do your own thing. Settle down. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> so Disney, Disney felt like they came out on top. They were okay with it, but they were contractually prohibited from using Disney MGM Studios' name in certain marketing contexts, in those instance, in those instances, the park was called either the Disney Studios or Disney Studios Florida. And this probably ultimately led to Hollywood Studios. Eventually, we get to Hollywood Studios much later. But okay. yeah, there was the wild ride that we went to. They detoured themselves, so we had to detour sure, with no, them. Sure, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we're going to get back on track. All right. So... Um, Will you like you always like hearing about the sponsorships, right? I do. I do. So back to the ride. Um, an early concept was supposed to be called the great, or called great moments at the movies. Right. Presented by Sears, Roebuck and Co., the Disneyland Company and the retailer, which was the largest in the world at the time, announced a ten-year joint marketing and licensing agreement um, in 1987. Sears would then sponsor the signature ride. And then have like a Hollywood showcase store. Come look at our washers and dryers. Yeah, like I imagine that version of like mm -hmm. the movies sponsored by Sears. Like what? That doesn't make sense. Oh, if you get a spill from your popcorn, wash it out with your with your Sears uh, washer. Clean, cleaner yeah. stuff. <laughs> but also while you're at it, buy some kitchenware. Yeah. And a, a shirt. <laughs> 
but ultimately, um, I guess they figured out that that also wasn't a great idea. So those plans were scrapped before the park's opening, and Coca-Cola stepped in as the park's sponsor. Gotcha. Um, eventually, Disney became their own sponsor, as they do. Yeah. But there we go. So we've made it to It's Open, and it's a great ride. Uh, do you want to go through it? you want to get on it? Let's do it. So you, you enter through this grand theater, perfect replica, and... Um, the line would start just like the Chinese theater lobby. Just like you're going to go see a movie, right? Just like you're going to see a movie with it's glass. It's a much longer line. Uh, yes. And uh, no Fandango <laughs> to buy tickets. Exactly. Um, and so you go and you pass glass display cases containing actual costumes, props, and set pieces from various films. This is like the one here. Some really cool things were there throughout time. The dress worn by Maria in The Sound of Music. The, the other dress was um, Roses in Titanic. Okay. And uh, Didn't see it. Freddy Krueger's red and green striped sweater. That's from neat. Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Sam's piano from Casablanca. And probably the biggest one being the ruby slippers from Wizard of Oz. Those are the ones that I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, I have very few memories from this attraction, but there's a few that I'm like, I remember visuals and I remember seeing the slippers. It oh, it just feels like such a big deal to see them. There is yeah. the other pair worn in the movie is at the National Museum of American History. Oh, that's cool. Um, so th- that's really cool. The other place is there. It kind of reminds me of the Hall of Presidents have them being able to use the seal yeah. and only them. Yeah. So um, then the line would take you to a little uh, small pre-show theater and um, it would show you like classic movie thing, you know, just Clips different. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it later becomes a sponsored movie thing, mm-hmm. but we'll get to that later. And then um, the queue would end with a pair of automatic doors in front of the theater that would lead you into a 1930s era Hollywood soundstage where guests would board these large but not as large. Uh, vehicles. Yeah. Not as large not as, as large our as universe the, of energy. Yeah. <laughs> not the 80-seaters, but... Still a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I probably should have looked up how many. Oh, my gosh. I wanted to say it was a lot smaller. There's two, like, cars per vehicle, and riders per vehicle is 70. So much smaller. Whew. Thank God we saved those two <laughs> seats per ride. That would have like, been obscene. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> The more you know. The more you know. So I'm getting in there with 69 of my closest friends. Yes, for 22 minutes. For 22 minutes. I want to. We're gonna walk through this one pretty slowly because I think it's really special. Okay. Uh, so that's part of this uh, is I want we're gonna all visualize this together because it is a really cool ride. Not in terms of tech, and you know, like we talk about some stuff, um, but. You start on a soundstage slash film set mm-hmm. um, featuring a large neon theater marquee and then uh, the 1930s era Hollywood Hills, like background, mm-hmm. with the original Hollywood Land sign. Oh, nice. Cool. And then um, as the ride begins, there's this Hooray for Hollywood song playing. Um, and this is a cool ride because we have a real narrator, just like Jungle Cruise. Perfect. So we get brought into... The classic movies by um, our tour guide. A cast member. A cast member. It's going to first begin, um, and it kind of goes by genre. So our first film genre is musicals. And you go through and you see this like cake of starlets from um, Footlight Parade. 
a very classic movie moment, okay. apparently. I haven't I'll, seen that one. Yeah, I haven't either. Okay. Um, but it's so classic. But it's very classic. Apparently, this is like a very big moment and very big scene sure. that people know from old movies. Uh, don't hate me if you love old movies, and I don't know. Um, if you'd gotten to ride the attraction within the first eight months, you would have seen a really, really spectacular opening scene. So I described it as a cake. It's like a cake because uh, it has like the tears. Um, and each layer of dancers would spin in a, the opposite way. Mm-hmm. And then there were like these fountains shooting around them. And, you know, it was very beautiful. But the problem was that the platforms for each layer were too heavy. So the foundation was cracking. And then the water kept flooding into the ride. Well, that's not ideal. Yeah. it was So ultimately, all of the effects were permanently shut off. And a scrim was kind of placed over the scene to make it more Hollywood, I okay, guess. Okay, sure. I do like that, like, even, you know, uh, even to, again, to talk through how this is quintessential Disney. It's like, uh, well, we have this big Yeti, but it doesn't work and we didn't fix it. So now we just have a Yeti that's still. We have this cake. Uh, broke after eight months. Yeah, we'll just put a scrim on it. Yeah, that's literally, that's a Pretty perfect sure. way of saying it. That's kind of like... They say this is the Disco Yeti of oh, Hollywood perfect, Studios. Perfect. I love that you didn't even know that. I didn't. <laughs> so smart. Um, the next two are like very, very classic musical scenes. So you have an audio animatronic um, of Don Lockwood, Gene Kelly, mm-hmm. swinging from a lamppost and singing Singing in the Rain. Perfect. Who apparently they had to like wine and dine him to convince him that they could use his likeness. I um, love that for him. I love that. And I love it like... He was like a- He's so iconic that they like still did. Like they still did wine and dine him. Because now I feel like they'd be like, cool, fine. We'll just get someone else. Yeah, right. Because they have so much influence. They do. Yeah. And Gene Kelly is Gene Kelly though. Um, Followed by Mary Poppins, Julie Andrews, and Bert, Dick Van Dyke. um, Singing from the rooftops of London for Mary Poppins. This was like always a favorite. That's great. For me. Because it's so special. And, you know, she's floating from her, Mm -hmm. uh, like next to the roof. And um, so we get to get a, a nice, easy start into sure. the classics. Now, things get a little more exciting. Uh-oh. As we enter the gangster film area, This via- the vehicle is going to um, ride the dark and seedy back streets of 1930s Chicago and past an audio animatronic of Tom Powers, who's James Cagney, um, in a scene from The Public Enemy. Okay. Haven't seen that either, but I do know gangster films. Well, you know who James Cagney is, right? Yeah, I do. I just don't. Okay. I haven't seen the pop Cagney. Um, and he's wearing a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Thought this was super cool. It's not just any tuxedo. It's actually the one he wore in the movie. Oh, nice. That's cool. Yeah. You know, I feel like I feel like actors should be allowed to keep every prop they use. That it's in. Yeah, I know. Like, I know. I get why they can't. But instead, actors just have to steal like one thing from yeah, the set. Yeah, I know. I get it. But I just feel like everyone like you should get to keep it. Yeah. I have like random stuff like traffic to have my ribbon. Have you seen uh there's a content alert? Have you guys have you seen Hereditary? No. Okay, so in Hereditary, I just won't go into it. There's a like the little girl, there's some gruesome stuff that happens and she wanted to keep a, a gruesome replica of something um and they wouldn't let her. Oh and no. I was like, "Oh, but that was The little know. girl's like, "But I was creepy." Exactly, right? But anyways. Um and so this is where the ride is. There's going to be two different sides. So I'm going to tell you the first side of this first. Gotcha. Um, so we are going to be in, this is technically 2B. Okay. And 1A is continuing on. Okay. And then we'll see what 1A experiences. But we 
the the ride vehicle is going to stop because the traffic light turned red, and obviously we obey traffic. You have laws, to, even in gangster Chicago. Yes. Um, while stopped, a live actor, a gangster named Muggsy or with a Y or Muggsy with an I, depending on if they're a boy or girl. <laughs> okay. Um, and their audio animatronic companions, Squid and Beans, show up and get involved in a shootout with their rival mobsters, Brains, Legs, and Weasel. Love those names. <laughs> I know. Um, in the car on the opposite side of the street, um, where this vehicle stops, pew, pew, pew. Um, during the shootout, the live gangster then chases the tour guide and hijacks the ride. Now, in the original version, th- there were two different original versions, okay? Okay. One was that the gangster's, like, really concerned for us tourists. And he, like, he's like, hey, I really want to help you. But accidentally, the tour guide gets shot in the crossfire. And they had, like, a like a patch on the shirt that would, like, open and there was blood. Like a squib? Isn't that what yeah. that's called? And then, Great. Yeah. And then, like, the... Um, the tour guide would like fall off and like go away and then the other version was that the gangster is mean and he shoots her oh great and she goes away but before that opened they decided that was too dangerous um and just too scary for people and they also could not ask regular cast members to be doing stunts that's too bad. That seems like it would be a fun kind of thing. But I mean, I, I agree on the like lack of violence part. But like, I feel like uh, cast members get their get. The, I mean, you already have the cast member that's pretending to be the gangster. Just have the one that's pretending to that's doing a stunt. Yeah, it's the fall. And also, yeah. I'm sure there's probably like contract too. If you're a strip oh, worker, yeah. then you get paid certain they amount. They got hurt. And didn't get the unions involved. Ugh. Back to those technical exactly. law things we were talking exactly. about. Uh, at least with this one doesn't have math. We're just talking about law. That's true. Um, so now Muggsy non-violently hijacks the ride and <laughs> we continue. Um, Here's the thing. If you go and watch the video, uh, of this ride, the yeah. one that I watched at least, um, Muggsy is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I usually like though, like, but this one is like, he's got a real weird Midwestern accent he's trying to do. And it's like over the top. And like, it seems like he's making fun of thing. I don't know. It, <laughs> he, he seems like he hates the character he's playing and I'm not into it. Oh, um, gosh. But... I like everything else about the ride, so continue on. Yeah, you can tell, like, you always have them being like, you know, welcome to Hollywood. As you all know, the Golden Age song, Streetlight Lamp, whatever it was called, like, that no one knows. And she's like, oh, one of my favorites. You're like, you've never seen this Exactly. It's like, sell it to me. Yeah. Um, So the next area you go through is a Western area, Western Street. Um, Here, the guest encounters audio animatronics of Man With No Name. Clint Eastwood, Mm -hmm. standing outside of a saloon, and Ethan Edwards, John Wayne, sitting atop his horse. Or basically any other John Wayne movie probably (laughs) could have been accurate. Yeah, for sure. Um, Apparently, I thought this was cool, the original belt buckle that John Wayne is wearing was donated by his family because it was worn through many of his movies. Unfortunately, people stink sometimes, and when someone found out, they stole it, and it was never recovered. You know that was a cast member. You think? It had to have been. I was picturing, like, I think it was because we just finished. No one came in as a heist to get them. Yeah, but, like, we talked about Splash Mountain, and when we talked about the Okie Finoki mm-hmm. thing, and, like, kids would, like, steal the carrots. Sure. So I'm picturing, like, teenagers being like, hey. I mean, maybe. It's certainly possible, but it just it feels like that's, like, that's something that somebody knew and had access. Yeah. Yeah, they replaced it with a replica, but man, that's so yeah, cool that yeah, for sure. you had a mm-hmm. something very cool part of the ride. Um, 
you continue past the shootout. Uh, there's going to be like there's like a shootout happening um, in the town between the sheriff and a bank robber mm-hmm. named Snake. And then you like kind of go through that area if you've got your mobster with you. Gotcha. If you don't have a mobster and you still have your original guide, uh-huh. you do stop now. Okay. You're going to stop and um, suddenly a live bank robber named Kate Durango, girl, or Kid Carson, boy, um, will appear from inside the bank. I like they have different names as though that's really going to be the thing that they're going to be like, oh, thank God. I don't. Everyone will notice. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, After getting into a shootout with the town sheriff and chasing the tour guide into the bank, the bandit sets the town ablaze with dynamite. With real fire. What? It is real fire. Cool. Are you sure that is true and it's not just like a pirate's fire and you got confused? Wow. Disney, did you trick me? (laughs) Now, I will say out of the many times that I read this as a kid, I really only mostly remember the mobster one. I don't think this, I don't think people get this one as often. Yeah. I mean, I I was wondering why they would do it that way. I assume it's just a stagger and get more rides in, that kind of stuff. Um, The one that I saw was the mobster one. Uh... I think it's but I do like at this point, both groups have a, a, a nefarious driver behind yes. the wheel. Um, my guess is during the, or I, I think I know this, the peak hours is when they have both. And then not peak hours, you only have the one. That makes sense. But so now everyone's rides are hijacked no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the ride is basically the same for both groups. Gotcha. So the next scene, always... A favorite um, because it feels very real is we're going to continue into a darkened corridor of a seemingly abandoned spaceship revealing itself to be the Nostromo a doomed vessel from Alien Ah! why Alien oh let's take it back that's not an MGM Disney or Warner Brothers movie what if you remember our episode on extraterrestrial you'll remember that after Michael Eisner we mean his son Breck um, wanted a cool new hip attraction in the park, Michael Eisner, for whatever reason, <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing, was determined to buy the rights to the alien films for theme park use. Which is wild. I love I, it. I think it's great. Great movies. Weird to be like, I want these for theme parks. And only this one. Like out of yeah. any attraction, like sure. anything, you chose this. Yeah. And if you remember, it was deemed too scary for the freaking Magic Kingdom. This was another part that I remember from childhood. I feel like even like that was this was part was scary to me as yeah, a kid. Yeah, it is. I mean, it it was really well done. And I didn't know I didn't trust my the driver anymore. It was this guy named Muggsy. Yeah, we had someone else. Putting aliens. <laughs> yeah, come on. No, thank you. Um, now I want you to imagine like a boardroom meeting as they're figuring out what was going to go in here, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Yeah, well, we want to, you know, honor like sci-fi movies and stuff." And you know, Michael Eisner is like, "I already did it." I, my plan is coming true. We will have Alien in my theme park. <laughs> All right, so, so we're on the Nostromo. We're on the Nostromo. Um, you have Ellen Ripley, Sigourney Weaver, mm-hmm. holding a th- flamethrower. She's like covered in like yucky stuff, mm-hmm. preparing to confront the lurking creature in the ship. Guests uh, will also hear Jones, Ripley's pet cat, meowing in the darkness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As well... As um, the computer warning them of an intimate ship self-destruction countdown. 
the alien imminent you said intimate and that's funny (laughs) leaving it in no intimate ship self-destruction yes it's a very intimate moment where we (laughs) self-destruct um um, imminent and imminent um the alien would first attack from the side with it was like very realistic coming out of its mouth um and then a strobe light you know effect has it coming out from uh the top like overhead mm-hmm. it was pretty scary and yeah. so hearing this the gangster slash bandit whoever you have gets nervous and speeds the ride up yeah. through the ship thank so goodness you get out before the xenomorph gets you yes um there were plans to also have ghostbusters and young frankenstein be featured in this area but that was a no-go because bill murray said no yeah um the next scene didn't wine and dine him enough like apparently not um i also am like if gene kelly can say yes like bill murray come on yeah you but it feels yes. very bill murray uh the next scene was always kind of the big scene of this attraction gotcha we're entering indiana jones so the writers are going to enter a scene set um in an ancient egyptian tomb filled with snakes snakes why has it got to be snakes you had to say it mm-hmm. you know like if you didn't we couldn't have continued mm-hmm. um we actually waited for 10 minutes for me to say it and then now and just cut all the time out in between because <laughs> Kelly was like i'm not gonna go forward unless you say it unless you say it the narration is informing the guests that this is a scene from raiders of the lost ark um and the figures of indiana jones harrison ford also if harrison ford says yes come on bill murray yeah. um um, and Sala struggling to lift the Ark of the Covenant. And instead of doing a hidden Mickey at the end, I'm going to throw it in here because I think it's cool. Just like the movies, uh, there's hieroglyphics of C-3PO and R2-D2 hidden, you know, on the walls. And it's in the ride too. Nice. I thought that was cool. That is cool. Now, the second room in the temple is going to feature a very large altar in mm-hmm. the form of an ancient, uh, the ancient Egyptian god Anubis. Near the top of the altar, I mean, it's tall too. Yeah. Like it. it feels very grand. Um, at the top of the altar is a large, priceless red jewel that is being watched over by a cloaked temple guard. Okay. The gangster or bandit sees the jewel, stops the ride, obviously you has got to, to take it. Yeah. Because they're the bad guy and they want the fancy, shiny thing. You gotta have thing. the fancy, shiny thing. Um, so before touching the jewel, the guard says, halt, and warns them not to disturb the treasure of the gods or you must pay with your life. Ignoring the sign as the rebels they are, um, they reach for the jewel. Suddenly, a plum of fiery smoke shoots out of the ground, engulfing the temple, um, the engulfing the temple altar. And then, all of a sudden, it is revealed that that temple guard was actually your tour guide. Well, that's wild. I know they tricked us. What? But I saw the blood, and they fell out of the car. I didn't see the blood. I know, I know, blood. I know. But I'm saying, but there's you a possibility I could have safely get yeah, taken fine. away. Um, but and they they were never gonna let us Movies, go unprotected. An illusion. <laughs> yeah, that's how movie tricks are done, guys. Yeah. Um, then, as the smoke clears, a sco- uh, a skeleton of either the gangster or the bandit is revealed, and the tour guide comes back. And helps us continue on our show. Oh, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. The bad guy, though. It's okay if we yeah, see skeleton of the bad guy. That's Disney logic, right? Yeah, no, you're right. Good guy, no blood. Yeah. Bad guy, dead. Skeleton. <laughs> skeleton. Um, the ride continues through a creepy tomb area with a bunch of skeletons. Apparently, this is supposed to honor the horror section of the film. 
definitely never noticed that that was the horror section. I thought yeah. it was just part of the temple. While watching it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it didn't yeah. stick with me. Which is, which is appropriate because we were just saying the xenomorph was too scary. So. Exactly, that's but, true. So, yeah. um, the ride vehicle then goes through a dense jungle. Here we have uh, the animatronics of Tarzan swinging from a vine and Jane sitting atop Timba, the elephant, and Cheetah, the chimpanzee, the chimpanzee comes by too. Mm-hmm. Um, that part for me was always like, okay, I want to get to the next part. Um, but it's still cool. Um, I just felt like that part felt dated for some reason. No, I mean, it, as you watch it a lot, this feels dated, uh, I think. Probably the the Nostromo is probably the part that feels the least dated, but it yeah. needs it needed more love than it was given in its yeah, later years. Agreed. Um, so now we get to a very very iconic part of not just this attraction but all movie history, Casablanca, mm-hmm. featuring audio animatronics of Rick Blaine, Humphrey Bogart, um, and Ilsa Lund who was Ingrid Bergman, but she never speaks because her family wouldn't sign off, so she's not really an audio animatronic. Oh, I guess gotcha. she's just, just an animatronic. animatronic. Yeah. Standing in front of the plane. I put the sound if you wanted to mm-hmm. put it there. Now, very iconic scene from the movie, and it was always told that this is the original plane from the movie. Um, later on, as movie historians like did much deeper dives into the history of Casablanca, it was during the war, so there was, like, you couldn't use a real ship. Um, and so it turns out that it was actually just, like, a cardboard cutout far in the distance. And then um, they had little people walk around it, so it looked like a full-size plane. Oh, interesting. That was... Yeah. That's the factual... I like, I like, like we have the real thing. It's like, the real thing was a cardboard cutout. And they're like, yeah. well, okay. If you want to get technical about it. Well, so they apparently were allowed to use... A plane for B footage. Oh, okay. And so it is speculated that it was a Lockheed, mm-hmm. a Lockheed Model 12 Electra Junior plane. <laughs> I don't believe him. Um, that was Sorry. the real one. Well, you know, you like well, no, technically there was a uh, there was B footage of a plane, so that's the one we have. <laughs> I promise. Like, okay, whatever. At that and point, it doesn't change my opinion on it. Also, if it was the real thing, um, the tr- the it was too big, so they cut it in half. <laughs> so I don't know how like well they were taking care of yeah. this. So um, yeah, you only see half of the plane. The other half is actually at the shoreline of Jungle Cruise, but you can barely see it right now because there's mm. so much growth over it. Yeah, clean it up. Well, I want to see it. That's what happens when a plane crashes in the jungle? I guess that's true. Um, next. We get to a part where it's like a projection of Mickey Mouse um, in the Sorcerer's Apprentice from the 1940 film, Fantasia. Now, this was something that always, to me, would just like felt like a we're filling space, so we're showing you a clip of Fantasia. Turns out they had already built the ride when they had their original story in place. Uh-huh. So that part was already built. And it kind of, if you look at it, it almost looks like broken wood around the screen where Mickey is shooting water. Yeah, it's it all doesn't that. feel matchy. Yeah. So apparently it's because it was supposed to be the tornado scene from Wizard of Oz. Oh, I can really see that. That makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I wish I knew this. Because um, Disney was apparently only allowed to use three minutes of audio from the movie. Oh, of uh, from from Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. MGM would only let them use three minutes. Um, and they wanted an absolute fortune to use anymore. Makes sense. So the original thing was it was going to be that, 
big scene and then a third Wizard of Oz scene. But they had to cut that, so they just... If only they hadn't had all those lawsuits, I bet they would have been able to I, use it. You know, probably. Um, so this is the... Uh, to me, the most, like, I feel like I'm in the movie scene. You go through Fantasia, and now we are in Munchkin Land from The Wizard of Oz. I remember that one, too. Um, it's where Dorothy's house has landed on the Wicked Witch of the East. Mm-hmm. And um, now both ride vehicles are in the same... Okay, so we we reunited. Everyone is together. Behind our tour guides. Yes. Um, The munchkins are going to appear in various places, singing and welcoming guests to their home. Then a bunch of smoke comes up, and the Wicked Witch of the West, Margaret Hamilton, appears and asks who is responsible for killing her sister. And at this time, this was Disney's most advanced animatronic. Oh, cool. Very, very cool. Um, Alphaba. Whoa, whoa, not Alphaba. No, we're not there yet. It's too far in the future. Well, but st- I, uh, canonically, we're saying it's Alphaba. Um, this is true. Um, so, personal story okay. before we continue on. Um, when I was in eighth grade, I, I was auditioning for my school production of Wizard of Oz. And I, of course, auditioned for Glinda the Good Witch. And I auditioned for Dorothy. And I auditioned for the Wicked Witch of the West. And though... You might look at me and not think the Wicked Witch of the West owned that. I 100% think, not maybe not based <laughs> on your look, but I think based on knowing you. I'm like, yeah. you, could, you, could, you would eat that up. And I, so I, I get the Wicked Witch of the West. My mom sewed a replica costume of the like OG Aww. witch's dress. Yeah. And in the moment, like I like, the end where I melt, I was like in a tower and I'm like, ah! <laughs> and I got a standing ovation. Oh, and this good was for you. like that's cool. I remember being like to this day, I remember like being in my little tower and being like, I want to feel this for the rest of my life. Oh, that's great. So as silly as it is, it was a very special moment. Um and it was the moment of like, wait, that girl, like, you know, people Hollywood, it's not always about looks. Okay. <laughs> it was very special to me that I got to be this like iconic. That's great. Fun character. Oh, that's that's a, that's a fun moment. I'm glad we got to yes. hear that. So um, now that um, w- there's going to be a moment where, like, as she appears, hey, my sister, is that you? And then the, the tour guide is using their best acting abilities to be like, no, no, we didn't do it. Ugh. And then um, they interact, and then she disappears. There's a fruit fly. There is some that's good, yeah. Um, and then she goes away, and the munchkins reappear because they're safe. And they sing, and they're like, well, how do we get out of here? And the munchkins go, follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. And then they leave. We have um, now. Yeah, it's too bad they couldn't get the scene for the part before that because it right? cues everything up. That makes so much sense now. And so the last scene, what we see is Dorothy, Judy Garland, Scarecrow, mm-hmm. Tin Man, um, Cowardly Lion, and Toto. Um Standing in front of the Emerald City, and that's kind of the rides, before the ride's grand finale, okay? They don't say anything. They just kind of look at you, and it's like a beautiful, moving set, like, picture. Now, what it was supposed to be, so the final room is both huge vehicles go next to each other, and you're going to watch, like, three minutes of classic movies. Mm -hmm. The idea, and again, this was all built already, so they had to use this space for something. Originally, this huge space was supposed to be 
the iconic moment where Dorothy and her friends meet the great and all-powerful Oz and say, and, you know, he goes and he hides and he says, don't mind the man behind the curtain. And then the curtain was going to open, revealing a ton of iconic movie characters taking a bow. Oh, that's cool. I know. That would have been fun. What is uh, it instead? Well, instead it's what I said. Oh, I guess you mean the movie part. Yeah. Um, instead, it is going through um, three minutes of MGM movies and stuff. <laughs> oh, you know, also very cool. <laughs> uh, love classic movie yeah. clips. You know, I, and I, this is like one of the things I feel like usually it's always budget. And I'm sure budget was involved in some of these decisions. Yeah. But it was a lot about licensing. Of course. Which ultimately so is kind of a budget thing. It's like, you can license if you pay enough. But but at the end of the day, it's like, is it realistic to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this sucks. is tricky. I can see I can see how like there there's clearly like a cool idea here and a cool attraction. But like it could have been a lot more with more IP. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, great ride. You, then you exit, you know, bye. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure everyone got the exit part of that experience. Wait, I'm on there forever. <laughs> um, this is a ride where I would die if I was stuck on it forever. Um, but now, ride is a huge success. And in the typical Disney way, the attraction was so great, they say, okay, well, obviously we have to take it to the other Disney parks, starting with the Disney MGM backlot in Burbank, California, that because of the lawsuits and everything, Ended up never happening, but it was supposed to go there. Um, there was talk of adding uh, Hollywood Land to Disneyland in the 90s, which would also have the Roger Rabbit ride, which is in Toontown. Right. Um, and actually, Toontown is kind of where it would have been, and there's elements that they were going to put in the Hollywood Land that you see in Toontown. Yeah, but- I mean, if you go in, like, that, that's all in D- DCA, right? Or is that in No, 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 this is... So this Pretty, is in I, Disneyland. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Now, the and they also were going to put it in like Paris and stuff, but apparently, like DCA is kind of where the Hollywood Land ended up being. Yeah, you can see there's like little parts of that where you're like, oh, look, there's the theater and right. stuff. But it's like there's they didn't really. I mean, I guess they have Guardians there now too, and I guess they're doing they're doing movie stuff in there, but it's not movies. It's it the yeah. intellectual property that's associated with the movies, just like they do with other stuff. Right. Yeah, apparently when DCA, the original idea for DCA was to have the great movie ride, but um, because of budget, we got Superstar Limo instead. Okay, okay, there we go. There we go. That's that's the (laughs) tie-in. We got there. We got there. Um, Also, it was supposed to go to Paris and and be the Disney Studio Park, but it also didn't go. So I think it's kind of special. You have an iconic ride that is solo. Versus some of, you know, how we have all of our mountains and um, a lot of the rides where they double up. But this one was unique. Um, If, in my opinion, if I were MGM, I would want to stay connected to the very powerful Disney. Yeah, well, I I agree. But that's that's with the benefit of 30 years of looking back or whatever, I don't know, whenever. This isn't... That's true. Yeah, but still, yeah. not even 30 years. You're right. Uh, 15 a, years looking back. They literally... It was like constantly a battle through the 90s, you know, and early, very early 2000s with like MGM and Disney and what was allowed. Mm-hmm. So like Disney would slowly take off all the MGM stuff in the park. Um, not always super noticeable, sometimes super noticeable. 
until um, apparently by 2007, MGM wanted almost a million dollars a year to use their name. Yeah. And Disney was like, okay, we that's too much. Like, Well, yeah, and I mean... I you, I would think so too. If you're MGM, it's like free advertising and a place where people are going and seeing, putting your movies up with the rest of them. That's cool. Uh, but also, you, at that time, I think they probably considered themselves more of a direct competitor. And now Disney has become you know what Disney is now. And so like they don't and they don't need MGM anymore because they have right. their own library that's filled out with a lot of different stuff. So especially buying you know Fox yeah, and exactly. all that stuff. So. You know, I feel like bad on MGM, but at the same time, Disney is now Disney's Hollywood Studios. That's what we all know it as. Um, and at this point, though, the ride did need a sponsor because, oof, it, it was falling apart. Um, it, it was not being treated very kindly. So in 2015, Turner Classic Movies came in to sponsor the attraction and give money for a refurb. Thank goodness. Um, and then this is when they added, like, interactive posters in the queue line. And now the film, While You Wait to Board, Mm -hmm. was a 45-minute pre-show hosted by Robert Osborne, who is, uh, he's kind of like the host, I feel like, of Turner Classic Movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's passed on since, but um, I think he passed in, like, 2017. Um, He is, like, a movie historian. And so he's also going to be the host of the show. Right. So the both the like pre-show and the post-show that three-minute thing. He hosts that three-minute thing at the very end, the gotcha. grand finale. Yeah. Um, so they got a new sponsors to keep it going. Yes. The other weird part, though, is that now there's like this constant narration throughout the ride with the guide of Robert Osborne talking. Oh, so they have both? Yeah, and I'm... it made it kind of dry. Yeah, that's tough. It took away a lot of the fun of it, um, you know, and so people did complain about that. The um, the Turner the Turner Classic Movie contract was only a three-year deal, and Disney decided not to renew, which obviously there's rumors floating around. You haven't been taking care of the ride. You know. Kind of see it coming, right? You see it coming. So July 2017, it was announced that they would be replacing it with a new original Mickey Mouse attraction. Um, and that softened the blow a little bit for people because it, it's completely new. What is the attraction? It's Mickey, it's Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad. That's what I assumed, but yeah. yeah. Which is going into Toontown. Okay. So we're kind of getting okay. full circle now that you're getting that like, kind of piece of IP Hollywood just yeah. in Disneyland in that a makes weird sense. way. Um, and that definitely kind of like getting rid of Great Movie Ride is what kind of definitely took the classic... Hollywood Studios, where it was a working Mm -hmm. studio, focusing on the history of movies and how movies are made and, like, the beauty of that, to we are an IP park. That's too bad. That's too bad. I think, uh, you know, I would say for all of the faults that we give Michael Eisner, I think, like, you know, whether this was his influence or not i think having an appreciation for older movies is a really kind of cool thing yeah and i like having that in the parks especially something that's built its you know uh a company that's built its backbone off of the entertainment industry like i think it's cool to have that in a way that is not just like these are the movies that we've produced in the past 20 years right you know so that's too bad but i get it yeah i agree they did for like while it was still Great Movie Ride, they blocked Great Movie Ride with this, like, ugly stage where they would do this big Star Wars show. 
And mm. I feel like that was also kind of a hint, hit, nudge, nudge. This isn't the centerpiece anymore. Yeah. They had sense. like the big, I, I didn't talk about this, but they had like this big hat, the like sorcerer's hat in Main Street. But there's debate if that was for legal reasons. Gotcha. Or whatever. You know, there there's a lot of legal jargon in this one. It does seem that way. So, but that said, with any type of defunct ride like this, we do like to ask, would you bring it back? And if so, what changes would you make? I think... For me personally, it's a definite bring back. I assume the same for you. Yeah. I mean, it's hard if I have to choose that or Mickey and Minnie's. Oh, sure. Um, because when I first, the first time I rode Mickey and Minnie's, I was like, heck no, get ready, you know, buy great movie ride. Hello, Runaway Railroad. This is so freaking fun. So cute. Um, and then now I've ridden it a couple times and it's still super, super cool, but there are I think my eyes prefer the classic versus yeah. technical stuff. So all the new technology, I feel like you get tired of it faster. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like if I, I, I would like for it to come back because I think it seems fun and I like yeah. the appreciation for movies. I'd like to see more of that. Um, but my first thought was what they're going to end up doing is is using a lot of the like guardian sort of stuff that we've seen on the software. It's like, oh, here's a screen and here's a screen and here's, and I think screens are cool, but I like the live action version yeah, of me it. Too. Um, like, like live action replicas. And I mean, it would be cool. They could do a really cool thing with it now with the expanded IP that they own. Like you can have everything from Marvel to Die Hard to the Goofy movie, right? There's like a, you go a lot of different places that could be really fun. Um, I think it, probably isn't part of their plan because i don't know i it seems like they wanted to i don't and i don't blame them for this like they, if they would have to replace mickey mini they're not going to do that right but like it feels like they want to like push that out more like push the, the the big name brand ip out more than a celebration of things and you know i get it but i do think it would be cool to have a big movie experience yeah, I'm trying to think of a way to do it without it just being watching the movies, you know, yeah. like how to bring back the animatronics and stuff. And like you have Kylo Ren in yeah. the new Star Wars ride. That is amazing. Yeah. It lo- it feels like it's he's really there. Yeah. And maybe that's just the version of that we're going to get now is like the experiential move through. And that's not a complaint because that's, you know, yeah, obviously it can a be great really cool. attraction. But yeah. So um, did you find a Yelp? I did. Uh, do we want to do the favorite favorite segment, Disney on Yelp? I think we have yeah, to. Yeah, okay, sure. There's. I didn't find a great one. Here's what I'll tell you. Uh, when it comes to the Yelp page for the great movie ride, a lot of people are taking an opportunity to feel themselves and write like seven, eight paragraph long No ones. way. And I'm not going to read that much. Wait, Sorry, about guys. what? Like... Just about, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Let me pull up. Um, this one's like, I like this ride. Two storylines. Movie at the end recently changed. One has been around since park open. Usually if I'm tired, and it's just like, they just go on too long without anything uh, okay, interesting. Okay. So we're not going to go into those. Yeah, we don't need that. No. So what I was able to find, always look for the three stars. Is hey, Listen, it's not the best. I think that this, uh, I think this review could use an update itself. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Michelle C. out of Miami, Florida. Uh, 763 friends on Yelp. Uh, weird. Don't make friends on Yelp. Get a life. Uh, 1,048 reviews or oh my stars. Oh, God. Um, 302 pictures. Uh, on 1-2-2014, that's January the 2nd, 2014, she writes, an update perhaps, question mark? I just glanced at another review of this right, and it mentioned the highlights as being, quote-unquote, relaxing and, quote-unquote, air-conditioned. Really? 
I have that in my house. <laughs> I came for fun and I, I came for fun and entertaining. Not entertainment. I came for fun and entertaining. This is a neat concept and flagship ride for the movie park, but it needs an update. Three stars. And you know what? I'm sorry, Michelle. Uh, I think air conditioning is a great thing to have in Florida. (laughs) Not just in your house. Exactly. That's amazing. (laughs) So, Michelle, see, unimpressed, but nevertheless. Love it. I think it uh, seems like, I'm I'm glad we did this one. I think it seems pretty cool, Um, especially because I didn't realize that I had, like, really been on it until we went back to the Don's memory lane. So it was nice to go on it and to hear, you know, kind of help with your love of movies and and acting. Yeah, no, it it definitely has a very nostalgic feel, which that was the goal of it in the first place. And it always succeeded at that. Yeah. Um, And it does have air conditioning. Michelle was right. Um, Yeah, I'm glad we went through this. I know this one wasn't just the history we kind of like did a deeper dive into the ride and what the visuals are um not in the mr toad way where we're just shouting words at you because that's what the ride was Mm -hmm. but in a nice through line because i mean it's a it's a memory of the movies and you've probably seen some of them out there yourself so like it's nice to be like oh they had that they have the singing in the rain guy neat yeah and you might make you want to go back and watch some of those classics let us know if it does yeah and you can do that Hey, well, you didn't ask if, oh, yeah, because I I guess. Yeah, it's already out. It's already gone. All of our normal questions are not That's why our normal one is, will we bring it back and what will we change when it comes to defunct rides? Yeah, I guess just to wrap that part up then, I would just make it a small little, like, a smaller attraction. Just, like, some way to, like, get excited about the movies. No. Uh, You VR with old audio animatronics that looks like their faces are melting that would actually be pretty fun if it, instead of like putting you in the scene of the movie it puts you in the like movie ride so you're still see instead of feeling like you're in the movie you feel like you're on the ride that's no it's a terrible hey. idea it's a terrible idea disney michael eisner where are you where are you at <laughs> um well um yes so if this made you nostalgic if you enjoyed it um or if you didn't enjoy it and you want to talk to us about that um please reach out to us in all of the ways, uh, website, sliceofdisney.com has everything you need. Um, but you can always uh, find us on social media at Slice of Disney on Instagram and Facebook. Slice underscore of underscore Disney on Twitter. You can email us at sliceofdisneypod at gmail.com. Um, or get on that website. That's where everything is. Find the Patreon. Come hear our improv episode, which I guarantee you will be bad. Yeah, yes. If you have interest in watching us do improv, please join our Patreon. Um, we have a great time. We will watch movies. Uh, this this is a very special episode because I am headed to Alani tomorrow. That's Hawaii. That's the uh, Hawaii Disney, if you don't know. Um, I'm headed there tomorrow. And so very special episode going out on our Patreon this yeah. month. So keep an eye out for that. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for going through this piece of history with us. And um, I hope everyone has a fabulous day and go watch some movies. Okay, bye.